This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. All right, Jason, good to see you. Thanks for sharing some of your precious time. I know you're a very, very busy guy. So please, could you introduce yourself to those who don't already know who you are? Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Darren. It's, it's most appreciated for this opportunity to, to, to go over these details. Uh, my name is Jason Phillip. I'm the Deputy CEO of Citizenship and Corporate Services. And what we are really is a bespoke um, immigration service and, and law firm that deals primarily with immigration to the Caribbean. So mm. we don't only deal with, uh, we don't deal with the relocation, but we help you get the citizenship uh, and the planning around making the best use of that citizenship. So we mm. specialize in the niche of Caribbean passports as well as uh, Vanuatu passports. Vanuatu, okay. Uh, could you give us like a general overview as to what each of those programs entail? Sure. So. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to start at the basis is, is, is yeah. what the citizenship programs, okay? The sure. citizenship programs are, um, in essence, a developmental tool for the government to use to expand the economy, to bring foreign investment into the, into the country, while mm -hmm. being for um, other persons to be able to become a, a, a citizen of the country without mm -hmm. having to, to go through some of the normal pathways that you would expect having to live in the country or spend time there or have significant presence. Okay, mm -hmm. so citizenship by investment allows a person to make an investment either in real estate to the country and buy a project typically worth over $200,000 mm -hmm. or make a one-time donation directly to the government to obtain citizenship. And currently in the Caribbean, there are five countries that allow this option, okay? So there are Dominica, Antigua and Barbuda, Grenada, mm -hmm. Kitsa Nevis, and St. Lucia. So those five countries, they all have active uh, citizenship by investment programs that are geared towards global investors looking to, to bring foreign investment primarily into the country as a way to supplement uh, tourism income and other export income and also as a way to um, to build up the the country increase uh, real estate increase uh, social assistance via government programs and and just in general improve the infrastructure and, and the lifestyle of the inhabitants of the locals okay so that's what they are in a nutshell so we can start from the oldest program which is yeah. the it's the nevis program uh, mm -hmm. Really, it's the platinum standard in citizenship by investment programs and has been running since 1984. Senkits has two pathways that are very well defined to get uh, citizenship. It's the donation option to the government and the real estate option. So what most people are interested, a lot of people do real estate, but right now the donation is on sale. You can say it's, uh, it's been discounted due to COVID. So you can now make a donation of 150,000 to the government for a family of four persons and get the citizenship. But it's not as simple as paying the money and anyone can get citizenship. It's actually a rigorous process. 
that involves uh, you know background checks by due diligence companies, uh, law enforcement agencies, both regional and internationally. So not everyone is automatically accepted because they have the money. There is a vetting process done by each government. So for example, St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, the typical time for the processing of an application is three months. So you submit the application to the government and you expect to get a response from the government within 90 days. Either you will get an approval letter or if there are queries or is there information that needs to be clarified by the government, they will provide you a letter to, to basically say, can you please provide us more details? Now, those, uh, those programs and the due diligence is not only done in the Caribbean, like I said, it's also done in the home country of the individual. So really, it's, uh, there's a rigorous check to make sure no criminals or anyone of dodgy character or reputational risk is allowed into the country. And all of the programs, all five of them, hold up a very, um, a very high level and high bar to their due diligence. So it's something that we're actually very proud of in the Caribbean, that we can be sure that people who are granted our citizenships are, are, are number one, you know, a good fit for our country, but will uphold the international image and reputation of the country. So the St. Kitts program, uh, it's something that is really and truly one of the most popular in the Caribbean because it's been around the longest, people know about it. Um, and it, the government has a very mature process for the program. So we get a lot of inquiries for St. Kitts. Um, especially out of the Middle East and Asia, because people think St. Kitts is also a very tax efficient program. You know, St. Kitts being one of the only countries in the Caribbean who has no income tax. So uh, naturally, if you relocate to St. Kitts, if you become tax resident there, your personal income worldwide is not taxable. There's corporate tax for, for businesses being operated from St. Kitts or in St. Kitts, but on a personal basis, inheritance tax, gift tax, uh, income worldwide are completely exempt. So the St. Kitts program provides a good vehicle for people looking to, um, to, to structure their taxes or, or even someone just looking um, you know, to diversify their business holdings, how to set up a trust, where to set up a trust, St. Kitts, Nevis, always come up as uh, one of the top uh, jurisdictions. Another program we have, which is one of the newer programs in the Caribbean is the St. Lucia program. Uh, the St. Lucia program, it started in about 2015. And there are similarly two routes to citizenship uh, like St. Kitts, but there are a couple extra routes in St. Lucia. So St. Lucia, they allow you also to do um, enterprise development. So if you want to come do a large infrastructure project in the Caribbean or in the island specifically, the government will work with you and see how that can fall under the citizenship program. And the fourth route, which is uh, very, very attractive right now, it's actually super attractive for investors, um, people who are looking to, to get the best bang for their buck in terms of citizenship investment, is the COVID bond. So historically, you would need to invest 500, 550,000 with the government to get sovereign bonds, non-interest bearing, get citizenship and they'll be refunded within five years. However, due to COVID, the government has reduced the price of this bond to $250,000. Meaning anyone who qualifies under the program will invest $250,000 now. There's about $50,000 in other government related fees to be paid. 
Once that entire investment is made, client obtains citizenship, and within five years, the government will refund the 250,000 principal interest-free. So when you look at the lifetime of this investment, it's actually the lowest overall cost of getting a passport per, uh, per person for your family in the Caribbean at this time. So the St. Lucia program, we find it, 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 it has been very uh, attractive to persons in the US. Americans have been very receptive to, to getting St. Lucia second passport via this COVID bond, um, as well as to Asian investors from China and uh, Taiwan. They have been very in interested in this because it is tax efficient, it is cost efficient. Um, it's a very good mechanism to get uh, this, this second passport. So it is a special limited time offer that has been extended until the end of this year. So until December 31st, 2021. After that, the prices are expected to go back to uh, pre-pandemic pricing. So it's a 50% reduction. So if anyone is looking to lock that in, they need to take advantage in the next three months. Otherwise, you know, you'll be needing to keep a lot more money on the line uh, to qualify. So we have three programs left. Uh, the next one would be Grenada. Now Grenada is a very good program. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more, um, builds itself a little bit more exclusively in the Caribbean. They have a very high bar for due diligence um, and a very strong reputation in the market. What Grenada allows you, that is a little bit different compared to the other programs, it allows visa-free access to China. So it's the only one in the Caribbean where once you become a citizen, you don't need a visa to go to China. You can just use your Grenadian passport to go to China. So that is a big plus. And the second plus is it's the only one that affords you uh, the opportunity to apply for an E2 visa. And the E2 visa we can get into a little bit later maybe, um, but that is basically a pathway to get into the US. So it's faster than EB5. It does not lead to permanent residency, but it is something that is attractive to investors trying to get into the US quicker while their EB-5 might be processing or while they're exploring some other route. So Grenada offers you that um, and they have some very attractive investments, uh, including you know, five-star hotels or direct donation to the government. So the Grenada program offers some perks that some of the other programs do not but it does cost just a little bit more because they're again, a little bit more premium due to, to, due to those perks. The other two programs, Antigua and Dominica, they're actually uh, both very similar to, uh, in composition to, to St. Kitts and St. Lucia and Grenada. They all follow the same overall pathway. Um, Dominica and Antigua don't have many um, extra benefits or cons compared to the other programs. You know, they're just another option to choose whatever fits the investor best. So, you know, there, there are certain countries which are visa-free for Antigua and Dominica, which might not be for the others. So people need to look at that on a holistic perspective as to, hey, whether this country, this country, or this country, this program, this citizenship will fit me the best. So, um, but one question I always get, which we can touch on briefly is, if I wanted to move to the Caribbean, which one do I get? Because I, I've never been there. Um, I've heard people talk about it. I've seen videos, I can watch YouTube, but how do I know without living in each one? So the benefit you get is that they're all part of the organization of Eastern Caribbean states, meaning that there's a 
free movement of people agreement between these countries. So once you become a citizen of one country, you automatically have free movement through these other countries and are able to spend time, to live, to, to get to appreciate and enjoy each environment after you've become a citizen. So you don't always need to uh, make that decision upfront. You can decide what program fits the best and you make the decision at that time. I think your mic is muted, Darren. Yeah, my, my bad. Uh, so we went through the Caribbean and Vanuatu as well. How and does Vanuatu fit in? Yeah. Yes. So uh, Vanuatu, it's uh, at this point, it's purely mm. a nation program. There, there right. have been mm. about including real estate as an option, but mm. right now it's purely donation. And mm. it's not the cheapest program, but it is the fastest. Mm. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. so you're typically able to get approval within 30 days and get the passport in hand within 30, uh, 45 to 60 days. Wow. So we do the Vanuatu program quite frequently for investors looking for um, looking for that quick uh, passport, looking for something mm -hmm. that's uh, just going to be a second passport. Uh, to use for business, to use for structuring, because Vanuatu is also a tax-free jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Vanuatu, it if you don't have the time to wait for a Caribbean passport, it is by far the best option on the market because mm -hmm. you get it quickly, it's reliable, and it is a strong passport offering visa-free to the UK and EU, like the Caribbean passport. So we do mm -hmm. see a high demand for it um, from persons just basically who are looking for some for passport within a short time frame right and could you repeat how much is the donation again so vanuatu starts from 130,000 for 130 okay yes. understood understood now uh i know for some jurisdictions you can go in during uh using the the investment route or you can set up a company and once you're providing x number of jobs or whatever the criteria may be you yourself as the entrepreneur or the investor will get permission to live there. Is that uh, possible with the jurisdictions that you've just touched on? Not, not really. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, so Antigua does have a business development option. And, I, and, and to a certain extent, they all kind of do. But it's mm -hmm. not envisioned in that sense of you make X number of jobs, uh, you will get mm -hmm. to know jurisdictions like uh, you know Canada and other jurisdictions they have programs related to that but the mm -hmm. character is more focused purely on investment so you've made the investment a certain amount mm -hmm. of money has been invested in the country but you must get approval with the government on a very specific case-by-case -case basis so I would mm -hmm. not say that that's a common route to citizenship mm -hmm. in the Caribbean um, but some of the programs do allow avenues to explore that Okay, understood. And, and of course, you're based in Dubai, in the UAE. Do you offer, uh, you know, residency or access to the Emirates as well? Um, so we don't do specifically residency in the, in the Emirates. Um, we that focus on the Caribbean. But what we do, right. um, we do have partners we work with here that offer offshore business solutions and mm -hmm. corporate and residency solutions mm -hmm. in the UAE. So our right. expertise really is... Um, investment in in the caribbean okay understood so in in terms of the jurisdictions that we've touched on which will be vanuatu and the five caribbean territories 
you you mentioned that Vanuatu is for someone who probably wants uh, a fast solution for you know whatever maybe there's a uh a pending sale of an asset or, or, or whatever they may need to structure themselves tax-wise or what from you know with some some haste and you mentioned that Grenada one of the USPs for Grenada would be of course visa-free access to China and E2 route into the US what about the other four Caribbean jurisdictions like what makes them unique what separates them from the rest um again it it, it depends on yeah. What perspective you're looking at it from? Okay, yeah. Um, I, I always go back and say that there's three types of people who get these passports. Okay. Okay. Uh, the first type would be what you've just mentioned: the investor mm -hmm. looking for a tax structuring, uh, business structure, and wealth structuring. That option. So if you're looking for that, you might look at something like Senkits. You might look at it out of a different lens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's people um, who have weaker passports and they're looking. Mm. Visa-free travel to as many countries as they can, or to specific countries right now. So someone mm -hmm. like that might be more interested in a Saint Lucia or an Antiguan passport. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and the last person is the the one who's looking for sort of an insurance policy, mm -hmm. uh, one who wants to keep it in the back pocket in case you know COVID was a, a great example of that and needing mm -hmm. one. Um, that if that day comes, I need another travel document, a different nationality, or I need somewhere to get up and move my family to live, I have that option. And so for someone like that, they might be just more budget conscious. They might say, look, I want to get a second passport at the cheapest price possible, which one is the lowest government donation, just so I have that option. So okay. uh, in terms of the USP, it depends on the, the lens that you're looking at it through, mm. as opposed to really um, each program differentiating itself that way. Okay. All right. So I guess by, you know, taking that line of thought, we've kind of identified who the ideal client is for, for each one of those. So, mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. Now, what I get asked about a whole lot is crypto. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure I'm not alone. Everybody who plays in the offshore space, it comes up every day and multiple, multiple times per day. In terms of crypto, what jurisdictions uh, from your ex experience have been quite popular for crypto investors? Yeah, so um, <laughs> the most popular by far for um, crypto investors, there, there have been two that have been quite popular um, mm -hmm. within our experience. Um, and those are St. Kitts and St. Lucia. Mm -hmm. Now, I can, I can give you reasons as to why. St. Lucia, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very good program. It's a premium mm -hmm. program. Uh, the level of due diligence is very high. So there's a lot of respect afforded to the St. Lucian passport in uh, mm -hmm. the world in general, in the banking industry. Mm -hmm. So it is very well respected. Now, even though St. Lucia does have a, um, uh, income tax, if you're not resident there, you're not worried about income tax in St. Lucia. So yeah. we found crypto investors have been very happy in St. Lucia, the government in St. Lucia, the CIU, um, they do understand the intricacies mm -hmm. of crypto. They have been, um, you know, very useful and and and, and very um, helpful in, in with that with various crypto investors. They understand, mm -hmm. you know, the profile of a crypto investor, where the money's from. They do good due diligence on the source of funds. So, we found crypto investors are interested in Saint Lucia, but even more so in Saint Kitts because okay. the, what attracts them to Saint Kitts is the seemingly uh, you know, uh, 
the no income tax, no no tax on all the, the no the concept of no personal income tax to some mm. people really overrides um, what other programs might offer because it is in their mind the ultimate benefit which they're looking for, which is how do I structure my assets in a way that I can avoid the, paying the minimum on capital gains on my crypto, you know. So there's no tax on crypto uh, assets worldwide in St. Kitts and there's no mm -hmm. personal tax. So even if you move to St. Kitts and you open a company somewhere, an exchange, a trading company, or even just trading your personal name, you're not worried about uh, being taxed on the capital gains on your crypto. And again, the St. Kitts government is very well versed, very well aware, has a lot of experience with crypto investors. Um, mm -hmm. So they do uh, recognize crypto as a, a legitimate source of funds um, you cannot pay the government in crypto, just to be very clear. Mm -hmm. The government accept crypto as a form of payment. However, they do accept it as, as a genuine source of funds. Mm -hmm. Okay, understood. And for those who were listening and they heard the acronym CIU, I'm guessing that's Citizenship Investment Unit in St. Lucia? So, exactly. So some of them yeah. are CIU, Citizenship by Investment Unit, or CBIU. Mm -hmm. Okay the same in all the countries they're the governmental organization that governs the citizenship program right so okay so Sinkit is tax-free so it's it's a great jurisdiction not it's not just a travel document it may be a jurisdiction which someone would want to spend time as well exactly and it's a okay all right and but you mentioned saint lucia is also popular but in saint lucia you're going to get taxed right if you were to spend time there, uh, it depends on how you structure it. You okay. Know? Okay. It depends mm -hmm. on how you structure it, um, where the money is held, is it? Uh, it depends on how you structure your your. It depends a lot more in Lucia how you structure it compared. Mm -hmm. Okay, I understand. And and just to repeat, just to make sure that I understood, none of the jurisdictions we've touched on accept crypto as a form of payment for the you know the investment program. To the government, none of them. Uh, Antigua had mentioned in the past that there's something they were looking into, but mm -hmm. as far as I'm aware, that has not come on stream till date. Um, mm -hmm. I know others can or will at this point, or maybe in the future, but at this point cannot be paid in crypto. Okay, understood. And if someone is like a retiree, you know, they've exited, they, you know, they, they're no longer working. I know you mentioned that St. Kitts has zero tax. Are the other territories territorial tax or worldwide tax? Uh, again, it's on a country by country basis, but it's right. mostly, um, you know, if you, you're earning income passively in a foreign country, a foreign country it's not uh, as heavily taxed, but there are the rules and regulations surrounding if you were to move there, become tax resident, that, you know, if it's taxable or not. Um, mm -hmm. So again, I wouldn't give expert tax advice on each country, just mm -hmm. the overall general consensus on them um, is that, um, you know, St. Kitts is generally the most tax efficient. But again, unless you plan to live there full time, getting any of these passports does not put any tax burden on you. And that's something mm -hmm. very important to uh, distinguish. So mm -hmm. it's not like you've become a U.S. citizen where all of a sudden you now have that uh, IRS requirements. No, you mm -hmm. get a Caribbean passport as long as you know you continue living your life. Then you don't have any tax obligations in the country. 
Okay. All right. Well, okay. Let's explore that option then. Actually living there, which I guess became a reality for many second passport holders when the pandemic was really at its height last year and the entire world was basically locked down. Right now, things are like slowly reopening, but last year, it's as if there was nowhere to go. And even back to your home, uh, you some people, for example, Australia, most famously, you won't even allow back in if you're a citizen. So in, in a situation like that, and you want to activate that plan B, uh, which island, and you, you want to go to, you know, you have a passport for Vanuatu, one of the Caribbean islands. You want to go somewhere, but not somewhere that's like too quiet, where there's absolutely nothing going on. But, you know, there's, there's some sense of community. You can network, you can meet people who have that international perspective as well. Which, which one of those territories would you recommend or speak about? Um, definitely, um, you know, again, some, some have bigger perks than others in that way because yeah. uh, these countries also have large universities, which mm. uh, by extension means that not only the students going there, but they're also uh, professors. They're also mm. professors' houses. They're also people who associate with the family members that have decided to move to those countries after learning about them from mm -hmm. their kids or their nieces, nephews attending these schools. So by definition, some of these countries will have larger expat populations than others because of different factors such as that. Um, mm -hmm. My personal experience, uh, having lived in St. Kitts, it's, it's a fantastic option. Uh, mm -hmm. Or uh, generally networking, having a more international experience, you do get a very diverse crowd in St. Kitts. It is the smallest of the countries, which, is, which has its pros and cons. Um, one of the pros of being small means that it's very easy to get around and to meet people and to network more, um, you know, whereas one of the cons of being small is that maybe there's slightly less people to, to meet mm -hmm. and network, right? Um, but you will find also St. Kitts have uh, geared themselves towards being a luxury destination in many aspects, even mm -hmm. uh, starting with the citizenship program, they had attracted mm -hmm. very high network people that have moved there, lived there. Mm -hmm. So, you will find a very good network in St. Kitts, but you can also find very good networks in, in, in Antigua, St. Lucia, Grenada, um, all the countries. Um, but mm -hmm. I do, out of a personal personal experience, personal opinion, I think St. Kitts is a really good, uh, it, it seems like many people have a connection to St. Kitts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would guess that perhaps, at least partly driven by the, the tax efficiency of the jurisdiction, you know, I, it, it, that presents a decided advantage. And when the lockdown was at its height last year, I remember just looking at social media and just seeing some quite a few, few influencers, particularly in the crypto space. They found themselves in, in St. Kitts and they were having meetups and they were, you know, still exchanging ideas, with, of course, with proper safety and, and whatever, but at least it, there was a sense of community in, in, in St. Kitts online anyway. And, and, and St. Kitts also, they did very well during the pandemic. Um, they were mm -hmm. able to lock down early and mm -hmm. really mitigate a lot of the negative effects that were seen by some of the other countries. They did mm -hmm. very well reducing the impact on the local population. And that was really helped again by investment from the Citizenship by Investment Program. Mm -hmm. uh, because even though the country was locked down, travel mm -hmm. was not happening, tourism was not happening, but the mm -hmm. program kept going provided a steady source of income for the government, which mm -hmm. by extension provided a steady uh, source of revenue and yeah. a 
trying to be able to put social programs in place for the people. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's so uh, a really, um, you know, they, they, they reacted amazingly well to, to the pandemic. And mm -hmm. part of the reason they were able to, and even some of the other countries as well, was because of these programs to provide that mm -hmm. revenue that did not depend on having tourists visit as traditionally uh, would have been the main source of income for the country. Mm, yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's, if we look at this in so, sort of through a wider lens and look at the, the CBI space in general, obviously it's been subject to quite a lot of criticism from certain corners and the media has a, a confusing tendency to paint it in a, a negative light. And perhaps as a result of that public slash political pressure, we've seen some programs disappear or evolve. I'm thinking of Cyprus, which kind of disappeared and the pressure being put on Portugal uh, as a result, you know, they've made it less attractive than it was previously and, and so on. What, what do you think of that wider trend in general? And then specifically, how do you see it? Because it, it must impact, but how do you see it impacting your particular jurisdictions in the medium to long term? Um, I mean, with any immigration program, mm -hmm. you do run the risk of it changing, of evolving regulations, tax-wise, banking-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're all sovereign countries free to make their own rules and laws. So, mm -hmm. you know, with, with any immigration program, it's always, if you have an opportunity to do it and it's something you want to do, it's something you should take advantage of in the present. It's mm -hmm. not something you delay one year, two years, or five years waiting and hoping it will still be there. It's always something mm -hmm. to take advantage of immediately. And Cyprus is the perfect example. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know there were many people who had even begun the Cyprus process, but weren't able to complete it because the program had shut um, abruptly. Mm -hmm. Three yeah. weeks, the heads up was given and that was it. So, um, you know, there will always be pressure on the programs um, politically and internationally. But it's also something that you need to recognize that is not only done by the Caribbean. It, they just do it in a different way where you get a direct citizenship. Uh, you know, Cyprus did it in the same way. Malta did it in a similar way. Um, you know, the US ultimately does it in a similar way with EB-5, whereas they just give you residency and then you, you earn it. You know, so the Caribbean understands and appreciates that maybe people can't live there to meet mm -hmm. the residency requirement. Yeah. So there needs to be, again, something that they, they have to do to make the programs be able to be sold and, and, and mm -hmm. be attractive to investors. Uh, yeah. And that would then to therefore reduce the residency requirement as might, you know, might be available in, in Portugal or, or, or Greece or these places where people might actually conceivably can live. Um, and not to say you cannot live in the Caribbean, but the markets for doing business are a lot smaller in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the access to certain infrastructure, different things are not as available as in larger countries in Europe. So, um, yes, the pressure is always going to be there. Um, mm -hmm. But something that um, I believe the integrity of the programs will mm -hmm. be, be kept up by the due diligence standards to make it almost a, a moot point um, mm -hmm. in that, you know, if we can let in only quality people to our programs that will uphold the you know international values that will you know not cause 
negative influences in, in, in Europe or UK with the visa-free access, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. There's absolutely no reason why the programs can't continue. Um, and I think there's a very bright outlook for the, the, the short to medium to long-term uh, viability of the program because they mm -hmm. do provide a good uh, economic uh, lifeline. I wouldn't even say lifeline, but uh, pathway for the government. And once it's managed to do the international standards of due diligence, which it currently is, mm -hmm. um, they're always improving their due diligence, which is very important to note. They really... Um, Mm -hmm. They strive to keep up with the latest international security norms um, mm -hmm. to get advice from all the agencies they can in terms of improving the, the programs because they want to keep the standard and they want to keep the programs, you know, beneficial to the country, beneficial to investors mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. also happy uh, or, or, or beneficial in the eyes of, of the EU and the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I see there's always pressure. Pressure will always come in different forms, especially... Mm -hmm. The, uh, these smaller countries that have been considered as tax havens like Vanuatu and, and, and going on um, mm -hmm. and might be you know, tax pressures. Um, but these can be mitigated uh, by putting the right policies in place. And I believe the governments uh, mm. are flexible enough and really are smart enough to, to be able to work with their counterparts to ensure that everyone you know, meets their objectives. Okay. Well, what about like the opposite? We look at it from the flip side. What about islands aside from those five? Because obviously the archipelago has many sovereign states. Do you think that other territories would jump on board the whole citizenship or residency by investment? A couple have, um, a couple have expressed interest. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them, the incumbent governments are not for it. Opposition governments yeah. are for it. Um, mm -hmm. Others have jumped on uh, residency. I know there's a residency program that can happen in Anguilla. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Barbados jumped on also last year, the pandemic, uh, the digital nomad visa almost, you can mm -hmm. call it. Um, mm -hmm. So there is definitely an appreciation of, of what the program can offer the country regionally. Um, mm -hmm. But again, some of these countries politically are not able to do it in that they're still, mm -hmm. you know, departments of maybe France, or, or, or Netherlands, so they're not able to do a passport program like Martinique and Guadeloupe. Um, so, but you can look at the majority, the overwhelming majority of the smaller uh, independent states, they either have a program or they have looked into a program. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in terms of up and coming, like, so who's up and coming? Who, who should we look out to, for? Uh, as perhaps new entrants or soon-to-be entrants. So uh, you spec uh, can we speculate that we may be seeing uh, some progression from Anguilla and Barbados? Uh, are they happy with just the long-term visas and they're going to just stick with that? What do you think? As, as far as I'm aware, yes. That's, that's kind of yeah. what they're, they're looking at. Um, I don't think citizenship by investment is on the table for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, it... it I don't see new programs coming on stream in the short term, okay. uh, but I see some of the current programs becoming more attractive and evolving. Uh, mm -hmm. Because what has happened is the pricing of the programs have been reduced to, uh, you can say, almost quite affordable levels. They've come down mm -hmm. you know, substantially within the past five years. So now they're a bit more accessible to more investors. Um, mm -hmm. So what the governments have started doing is expanding also the 
the definitions of dependence and the kinds of people that can join an application. Uh, mm -hmm. To just about two years ago, it was not possible to have a brother or a sister, a sibling as part of your application. Right. As of now, all the app, yeah. all, all the countries in the Caribbean have a pathway for including a sibling in the application, depending on the age and status. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll see some evolution in the programs in terms of who is required uh, to be or, or who can be included in one applicant in one application. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will see evolution, whereas I don't know if we will see new ones coming on stream. That's uh, that's a speculation. Okay, gotcha. And does your firm get involved in uh, like offshore structuring, for example, opening offshore companies in these jurisdictions, uh, making banking arrangements in those jurisdictions as well? Yes, it's something that we used to mm -hmm. do uh, quite heavily in St. Kitts, um, open okay. offshore. But it's something now that we have uh, moved away from and focused primarily on the investment part of it, the citizenship part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Actually uh, have a lot of clients that have moved their structuring to the UAE because there are some very attractive structures there. Um, again, or in uh, Nevis, there's still some very attractive uh, structures in Nevis. So mm -hmm. we, do, we do network with partners in, in those jurisdictions mm -hmm. our clients. Uh, but as a firm, we've uh, decided to purely focus on the citizenship aspect of things and making sure that process goes as smoothly as we can for our clients. Okay, so, so it just generally, you know, just really helicopter view. In terms of the offshore structuring for the Caribbean or perhaps for Vanuatu as well, do you see that as less, there's less demand for it than previously? Or has it been steady or is it on the increase? Um, from our perspective, it's, it's been a little bit uh, on the decline in okay. terms of our perspective. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now there, there are definitely companies in, in Nevis and so that are doing good business uh, in that um, offshore in St. Kitts has been a little bit of a decline. There have been some new uh, laws and regulations surrounding offshore structures that came into effect uh, 2021. So mm -hmm. there has been some disruption in the market. So mm -hmm. I would say it will take a little bit of time to see okay. how the perturbations uh, level out or, or, or what the definite trend would be. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And so in, if we look at the Caribbean in general, uh, I remember speaking to someone else in the citizenship space, but this was like last year, year before, and they were talking about them getting most of their clients from Asia as opposed to, let's say, North America. Is from, I mean, of course, this is not statistics or whatever it is, anecdotal. So anecdotally, are you seeing a shift in the demand patterns from Asia towards Europe and North America, or is it still pretty much spread out? Or what are you seeing? So it, it, it is a statistical thing also. Um, okay. Historically, yeah. um, yeah. has been about 70% of the market for citizenship by investment in, in, in the Caribbean. And in general, you know, immigration programs have been dominated by China. Um, wow. The past year and the advent of COVID, we've seen a dramatic shift in that. Mm. Um, previously, mm. The U.S. was almost a non-existent market, and you would say uh, North America in general, Europe. It was for a very select group of people in those countries looking for very specific reasons. Yeah. Uh, so we would process, you know, the minority of applications from North America and Europe, and the majority from Asia and the Middle East. 
So what we've seen with the advent of COVID was the demand from Asia has declined. Mm -hmm. Demand from the Middle East has remained fairly steady, but the demand from America has dramatically increased. The demand wow. from mainland USA has really, uh, you know, become now a new market. It's, it's, mm. it's a market that has grown extremely quickly um, mm. and has something that caught many people by surprise. But I think it was mm. a favorable combination of factors. You know, there were some political issues. Uh, people were worried about what, which way the election would go. There were mm -hmm. issues worried about, um, you know, the pandemic, how things would go to the pandemic. There were issues surrounding where Americans could travel. I, I, I feel mm. what I've heard from many of my clients is that that image of American invincibility when it came to their passport has been cracked a little bit uh, because they found mm. during the pandemic that at one point their, their passport could was was not much better than most of the worst passports in the world right now. They were very limited mm -hmm. in where they could use mm -hmm. it. So they mm -hmm. realized that even, uh, even their passport, there are circumstances that would cause them to lose that, that mobility that they enjoy, that freedom of travel, that freedom of choice of movement. So mm -hmm. they look strongly into getting that for So those would fall on under um, that, that type of client we discussed about being the more yeah. insurance type client. That just mm -hmm. hey, I want to have this for what could happen in the future, and we mm. see a lot more of these clients coming out of the U.S. And wow. it, it, that the um, with that increase, there's also been an increase in education of the mm -hmm. U.S. public of these programs. Before mm. there was any demand, there was very little marketing going on in the U.S. and and and, and public uh, discussion of these programs. Mm -hmm. But now it's come to the fore. There's a lot more uh, talk about it. People understand it and understand the benefit to themselves, to the countries, mm -hmm. and it is a viable option. So there has been a big uh, shift in, in, in mm. that America has not become the largest market, but it's the largest emerging market in grants. Uh, mm. Okay. So then, you know, that, that to me, it begs a question. So the decline in Asia... I guess because of the reality is that the borders were shut and it's not just inbound, but to, in some jurisdictions, you could not leave unless exactly. you presented a valid reason and the validity is somewhat in dispute, but their borders were closed and, and they could not leave. Uh, so do you expect that as things gradually reopening, reopen and they are like slowly but surely reopening, do you see that it will bounce back up again in terms of demand? And then conversely, was the situation in the U.S. like a knee-jerk reaction? And those who wanted it now have it in their back pocket. And you don't expect to see that sustained growth. Uh, you know, how do you see both of them uh, continuing in the medium to long term? Good question, actually. Um, yeah. I think a lot of um, the, the, the decline we saw in, in, in Asia was mm. because of the perception of the pandemic as well that uh, mm. Asia was seemed to be more safe of a location mm. than the West. So mm. people had a shift in mindset that why should I get a passport for the West when I'm very happy mm. in Asia? You know, yeah. I'm not, yeah. it's a lot safer. Um, yeah. So as normalized surrounding the pandemic, I think we would definitely mm. get an increase in, um, in demand from, from Asia because um, historically it's been a very big market. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm optimistic that we will see a continued um, you know, rise in, in, in demand from there. 
but in America, I think it's something that uh, is, it's a matter of education because America is a very huge market. You know, the population of America is, it's, it's substantial. And yeah. it's not the population um, without means, it's a population with means where the investments required are a lot more accessible to a lot of much larger percentage of the population than many other countries. So, you know, Americans becoming even more aware that this is even an option, right? I think that in itself will help drive mm. and, and, and at least maintain the status quo that has been, uh, you know, attained due to, due to the, the factors that brought it online. But now with the proliferation of, uh, you know, the knowledge that this can happen and this is a viable option and my uncle has it, my brother has it, my cousin yeah. has it. You know, it, it, it yeah. now more of a reality. I think that would be, that, that at least can be a little more self-sustaining in the U.S. Mm. Okay, gotcha. And let's, so let's, let's pivot back to Asia. So historically, as you mentioned earlier, it's been more North, Northern Asia, i.e. China, right? Are you seeing as things evolve that the demand will shift to Southern Asia, so Southeast Asia, like, like Indonesia, Vietnam, India? So um, each of these countries face their own challenges. Okay. Um, okay, so China historically has been the best. Uh, the Chinese, the population is the largest, very high income, uh, or, or, or a large number of persons in China have a very high income and are mm -hmm. able to afford the programs. Um, whereas you see countries like Vietnam, Historically, uh, they've not been as, uh, you know, they've not been as uh, resource heavy as China, you can say, but recently, mm -hmm. the past five, six, seven, eight years, that has changed. So you go to mm -hmm. Vietnam now, a lot of the population are very well, well off there. You know, there is um, money in Vietnam able to invest in these programs. So the big problem for the Vietnamese market has been mm -hmm. one of education. So uh, 2017, 2018, the, these programs were not very well known in Vietnam. So it's, it's a place that I've been many times, you know, discussing citizenship with, with, with various immigration agencies and lawyers there. And even at that time, it was not very well known. So we've seen an uptick in, uh, in, in as an emerging market in Vietnam. And it's been, a, mm -hmm. been interesting the way it's gone up. Um, but it's something of education in that country. Mm. So it's something that people will do and more people want to do it in, in Vietnam. But again, it's one of education and, and having the local uh, agents that are there have the, again, the, the experience, the marketing and, and, and having it as an option for their clients. And you find uh, also a lot with these kinds of countries, you know, India, uh, Vietnam, people there, they aren't as worried about where they come from or having a second passport for some of the aforementioned reasons of security mm -hmm. or, or insurance or tax structuring, you know, or visa-free travel. You know, Vietnamese, mm -hmm. generally, they can get their visas to travel. People from those regions are more interested in what the future holds for their kids and their families mm. locating. So you'll find uh, that Vietnamese, Indians are more interested in a permanent residency in Canada or Europe or the US, you know, and only there's a minority stake that will want a second passport because they're more interested in future education, job, mm. 
you know, family wow. as opposed to using the second passport as purely an investment tool or travel tool or an insurance uh, option. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right. So, so that, uh, hmm. so in that sense, as, because obviously, uh, China is facing certain demographic challenges. It's, you know, because of, of its uh, formal one-child policy and whatever, so demographics are shifting. And so when you be looking for growth, we're looking really at Southern Asia, but you're saying that because of the cultural and perhaps economic differences, they would be less interested in, hmm. okay. So in, in that sense, looking to the long-term, it, it makes sense for, 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 for the, the, the programs in, at least in the Caribbean, to gradually, I mean, yes, because of the size of China, there will always be some demand from it. But in terms of up and coming opportunities, they'll really be looking to North America and perhaps Western Europe. Okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, to be mm. honest, all, it's kind of cliche to say, but every country mm. is a market. Okay. It's mm. not, so there are countries that will dominate your market space. Uh, mm. And, and where the demand will be greatest for certain reasons. But every single country has a person, group of people that will need uh, or can, that can benefit from the, you know, advantages of having a second passport from the Caribbean or an mm -hmm. investment or a passport. So yes, uh, America, the US, North America, Canada even are very good avenues for growth, but mm -hmm. I, genuinely believe that all countries have that option as well. All okay. countries have a target market that could benefit from having these, uh, these investments and these second passports. So it's really, um, you find a big shift now of um, Africa becoming mm. one of the, the new emerging markets, Nigeria, Northern Africa, French speaking Africa, Central Africa. Um, mm. those, those countries are waking up to the possibility of the second passports. Those countries have very large populations. Maybe not all of mm -hmm. them uh, can afford the passport, but definitely there are large amounts that can and make and, and make good use of it. So we're finding that a lot of these emerging countries as well, emerging economies are very good um, jurisdictions and we see demand shifting among these countries as well. So even if America does not sustain its uh, momentum, Right, which uh, which is possible or not, but we do have other options, and there are other places that that agents are focusing and getting as source markets. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um, last but not least, the the Middle East. You said the Middle East is a, a strong market for you. Uh, which which countries in particular, or is it just as a whole? It's a long tail, and you can't really pinpoint any particular uh, market. How do, how does it look? Well, um, a lot of the countries are uh, very strong markets like Iraq, okay. uh, right. and, you know, um, but the Middle East in general, because when you think of it, places like the UAE, Saudi, uh, Jordan or Kuwait, there's a, a very large expat community. In, yeah. in, you know, if you look at the UAE and, mm -hmm. and a lot of expats come from countries that traditionally will have a weaker passport. So mm -hmm. those are the types of clients that are looking for that mobility and the, mm -hmm. the powers. Um, and again, you look at somewhere like the UAE, they've come here because they're really good opportunities to, to work, to, to develop their business, to earn money. So mm -hmm. 
a lot of these people moving here have the means for the investment and for the passport. So mm -hmm. you might not find, you know, you'll find a big market here of expats. So of mm -hmm. other from the region, um, mm -hmm. generally. So that's what you find. So UAE is a very big hub for the programs simply because it's such a fantastic melting pot of nationalities and, and you know, business-minded people that come here to really you know, take that next step forward in their life. Um, but, you know, generally, you know, markets such as uh, Iraq, Lebanon, these people also have a large population, but there are mm -hmm. some internal issues that cause them to, to really see the benefit of having that as well. So you know, it's not, I wouldn't say there's one country or one mm -hmm. nationality that brings the demand from this region. It's really the region as a whole. Mm -hmm. And another thing is that the, the education on the projects, uh, the, pro the products and the, the projects as well, investment projects, it's very strong in this region. You have uh, many very experienced agencies in, in, in the UAE, Saudi, uh, Bahrain, Kuwait. So they've been doing this for many years, meaning they've been uh, educating the population for many years. Many people have had the passports for several years and by extension, their families, their extended families, their friends, they all know someone who's who's gone through the process so they have trust in the process and that mm -hmm. has really really helped uh, you know drive the the popularity of the program in this part of the world okay wonderful you know jason you've been a uh you know a fount of wisdom and you've given us a lot to think about thank you for sharing your time and your insights and can you you know say how can someone reach you to discuss these opportunities what's the best way to get in touch with you Thank you. So first of all, thank you, Darren, for having me. Yeah. Uh, it's really a, a good opportunity to discuss uh, with you. Uh, um, so to reach our company, our company is called Citizenship and Corporate Services. Our website is www.ccscaribbean.com. So the easiest way to reach out to us is via our website. You can also find us on LinkedIn, on um, Instagram, Facebook, but really our website is very informative. It'll find, you'll find all the information regarding the programs and you can speak to one of our advisors di directly via WhatsApp, by email or phone call. So if you have any questions, we are here to help and, and happy to provide any advice. Okay, so that's great. So that's ccscaribbean.com. ccscaribbean, all one word, .com. Perfect. And fantastic. Thank you very much, Jason. All right, have a good day. And I'm going to switch. And we're off. Cool. Okay. All good, all good. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, that was, that was great. I learned a lot. You learned so, a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the programs are cool, man. Um, uh, oh, this, is, this is my colleague, Hannah. Ah, hi, Hannah. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope I hope this will be beneficial, at least to to mm -hmm. your, your viewers. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, again, again, you know, just promote investment in the Caribbean, and, and we're happy, mm -hmm. to, um, you know, wherever it comes from. The, the Absolutely, the good investors. Awesome, uh, great stuff. Thanks for your time. Have a good one. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one. Sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Texas and International Entrepreneur Texas at www.htj.tex. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tex.
Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult over Zoom. Number four, high net worth. We can quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.